Welcome to Fathering Excellence, where fathers of accomplished people share their parenting insights. This episode, I am excited to be talking with Bill Cox and his daughter, Jessica Cox. Jessica is a motivational speaker and life coach and is most well known for being the first armless pilot in aviation history. That's right, Jessica was born with no arms, yet she overcame a multitude of obstacles to earn her private pilot license. We are thankful to have both Bill and Jessica joining us on this episode, starting out with Jessica and then transitioning to Bill roughly halfway through. Included among the many topics we discuss are how Jessica's parents instilled a sense of confidence, the lap talks that young Jessica had with her father Bill, some of the hurdles that Jessica had to overcome to become a pilot, and as you'll hear, it really comes across how Bill is one of Jessica's biggest fans. Lastly, if you hear anything in this episode, or others, that you found helpful, we would greatly appreciate it if you could take just a moment to provide a rating and a review. It's particularly helpful if you could do this on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you for any help with this, and enjoy this episode with Jessica and Bill Cox. I'm Jonathan V, and this is the Fathering Excellence Podcast. I'm interested in learning a lot about your company and how you got to where you are today. Before we go there, could you tell me a little bit about what that first solo flight felt like for you? Well, it took a long time to finally get to the solo flight, which is a huge step in your flight training. It's the moment your instructor gets out of the airplane and allows you to take over the controls by yourself. And for me, it was a moment I was waiting for for a very long time. I had to work extra hard probably harder than most student pilots, uh, not only with the logistical challenges of flying an airplane, but also finding out, you know, what kind of process I should go through in order to approach it very carefully so that it was safe. And not only that, but that the people like the Federal Aviation Administration, they could uh, support what I was doing. So I had to go through a couple hoops and to get through to be able to get to solo flight. And whenever, once I got there though, it was the most incredible feeling once I landed after that solo flight, because for the first time I really knew for a fact I was flying that plane by myself. And that, that almost like gives you that moment in life of transformation, that moment of, if I can do this, then I can do anything. You really feel on top of the world, literally, (laughs) it feels (laughs) like that. So it was incredible. I can't imagine. Could you tell me a bit about your motivational speaking business and your life coach business? I actually started my speaking career right out of college. I had the opportunity to speak as a sophomore in high school to a group of students and not even knowing what it was like to share a part of my life with people and to to be vulnerable to a group of strangers and inspire them in the process. All the while between sophomore year of high school and until senior year of college, I was looking for a way in which I could essentially do it as a career. And that's when I started to find out about motivational speakers and and the career path for them. Uh, And I thought, well, let me find some amazing speakers and see if they'll coach me through how I can develop myself as keynote international speaker. Sure enough, right out of college, October, which was maybe about three or four months after graduation, I was invited for my first international keynote speech. 
And I just shared my life. I shared some pointers of what helped me through the challenges and the obstacles. And it became this um, career that, that has been with me now for 15 years and has taken me to 27 countries around the world, mm. places where they don't even speak English, to be able to get the message out there and at times even have a translator there beside me to make sure that, they, that people in the audience can hear what I have to share. So rolling back the clock, thinking about your younger years, could you speak a little bit to what that journey was like for you and how your parents and your father in particular helped you to develop the skill set and mindset that you needed to accomplish all of these goals that you've, that you've accomplished? It just took years of, of being completely accepting of my situation. Of course, it took the foundation of my parents who ingrained in me that sense of confidence that I needed to have so that I could go out and be who I am despite the reactions from people. And it's amazing how making that shift then resulted in a shift in the way people reacted to me. The moment that I was able to change the way that I see myself and see it in a positive light started to cause people around me to react differently in a very positive, optimistic way as opposed to how I felt they reacted to me before, where it was shock, fear, and discomfort. And then it became, well, once I became confident and accepting of myself, then I was able to go out into the public places like the store or the mall, and people would respond in a very positive way. That's fantastic. Your parents, as I understand, integrated you into public school early. Was that a good thing, a bad thing? Is it something you would recommend? You know, I think every parent wants to shelter their child to a certain extent, especially if there's more reason for it. And I knew that my mom would often say she didn't want me to be sheltered. She wanted me to be out there in the world with, you know, eventually I was going to have to be able to face the world on my own. So the sooner the better. Why keep sheltering? And my parents didn't think of sheltering me from the outside world, from the reactions. I was going to have to learn to deal with it sooner or later. So they they enrolled me in everything you can imagine as a kid. I mean, I took dance lessons. I took Taekwondo classes. I did modeling. I did Girl Scouts. And we did parades where we were out in the public eye. I was constantly active every single day after school. They, they really did incorporate the importance of being out there and, and not hiding me from the world. Did you confide in them when you experienced challenges in the world? I think I really did confide in my parents. I know that I always had a special talk with my dad in the evenings. As far back as I can remember, I would just sit on his lap when I was young enough and uh, small enough. I'd sit on his lap <laughs> after first grade or, or a, a tough day at school. And, and I would obviously tell him the story of how this happened or this happened and how I dealt with it. And he always was willing to be there and, and lend a listening ear, not always advising, but just being there um, to listen. And of course, he did give me advice on occasion, but he was there for our talks. And that availability to be present for me when I needed it was something that is very vivid in my memory growing up, that I always had that present dad who ha was there to talk to and have these discussions and conversations. We may not have always had the right answers, but just to talk it out made it so much easier. It sounds like a, a safe place. 
Yes, I feel blessed that I had that because it helped me to process the challenges of being different and to process the challenge of having obstacles and and how to deal with the reactions that weren't always positive, you know, and it it's not always going to be a positive thing growing up when you're different. So it was just nice to be able to have someone there to understand. You mentioned that he gave advice from time to time. I like how you phrase that because I think many of us fathers, self-included, tend to give advice all the time, always trying to feel like I've got to solve it and maybe over-advising versus just you know being there and listening. When your father did give advice, was there anything that today still sticks out as something that was particularly helpful? One of the things I really loved is that when it came to talking to my dad, he kind of allowed me to come to my own conclusion um, instead of just saying, you know, this is the way to do it. Mm. And he facilitated that with either discussion or, you know, questions of, and then, you know, it highlighted to me that, oh yeah, you're right. Maybe that was, this is the way to go about it. So he was helping facilitate more than advising. And it gave me more empowerment to come up with the answer on my own with his guidance, as opposed to using someone's advice and figuring it out from someone else's perspective or someone else's experience. I imagine it sticks a lot better that way too, when you get there on your own and it feels like your own idea versus it being something that your your parents told you. Yes. I love it when you can own your own life advice or your own <laughs> answers because you, you want to be able to make it your own instead of uh, taking it directly from someone. Yeah. When you think about parents that have children that are either differently abled in general or have no arms specifically, is there any advice that you would give to those parents? I love that question because I think when you do have children with different disabilities, you know, the tendency is to kind of coddle them or to help them. And in reality, that's not going to be of much service because independence brings about a huge level of confidence. And independence may be harder for some of us because we have to find new ways of doing things. But to stifle someone's reach for independence is something that I don't think anyone should do because that independence is so incredible for someone in life. And I always like to say to any parent is to sometimes you have to have tough love. And tough love is not always helping them, even if they really want the help. It's really giving children the space to figure it out on their own because they get that empowerment from figuring it out on their own. And it is going to be hard to watch at a distance sometimes, but that's why it's called tough love is you just have to, sometimes you just have to hold back the tears or if you have to sit there and watch them and, and the tears just allow them to flow. And sometimes just watch as your child struggles from a distance because that growth, that hardship that they're experiencing gives them the sense of accomplishment once they do get through it. And that struggle and the difficulty is what helps build their resilience. So that if they do come across something that's difficult or something that seems impossible, they're less inclined to give up because they've learned from the previous experience of difficulty how to get through it, how to become resilient and how to manage through it. Yeah. And that sounds like Fantastic advice for every parent, regardless of whether or not their child has a disability. It's easy to jump in there and want to help, but that bigger kind of love to have your your child is to to allow them to develop the resilience that's going to help them so much later in life as, as it seems like it's it has for you. It definitely has, yes. 
But Jessica, thank you so much. This has been a, a great conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I really appreciate your time. You're so welcome. And thank you. And thanks to all the listeners out there for listening to the story. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I have been very much looking forward to this conversation. A bunch of questions for you about about raising your kids. I'm curious, just starting out, what was it like for you when you when you saw Jessica take her first solo flight? Oh, it was great, but I didn't watch her take it. She was supposed to have taken it the day before. We had about 20 or 30 people up there at the airport going to watch her take her flight. And the flight instructor said it was too windy for her to do her solo in that day. So she stayed up at the airport in the motel. And the next morning, she went out there by herself to the airport early next morning. And Paris Trawick, her instructor, said it was calm enough for her to do her flight. It wasn't but one other person at the airport other than Mr. Paris Trawick. And so he gave her permission to take her flight. So she took off that morning and she, and she got up. And she flew around, and, and she came in to land, and she just gunned it when she was going to land because she wasn't happy with the direction of the plane. So she went around scared his butt, though, because they had lost their communication. Her radio had been turned off or something when she got in the air. So she was up there, and but she always remembered the rule of flying is when everything goes wrong, just fly the plane. So she came up, she came around the second time and did a perfect landing though. That's fantastic. Wow. What a way to have your first flight, have the comms go down shortly after you lift off. Uh-huh. She certainly proved her mettle. Well, you must be very proud to see that she's accomplished that and all of these other things. It's just remarkable. Well, she is a probably, I'm not being boastful. I'm just telling you the facts. She's the most popular girl in the Southwest over the world because she's worked in about 30 countries now. She speaks to 5,000 people in London and she just got back from uh, Egypt. The president of Egypt gave her a big award. She spoke over there and Saudi Arabia the next week or two. And the prince of Saudi Arabia flew her around in his private jet. All those things. She's just done so many different things. Got the Guinness World Book of Records and award in Italy and, uh, she went out to Rome and presented her award to the Pope in front of all these people. And then she got the Amelia Earhart Award in Atchison, Kansas, here about like two years ago. And she's just done all these marvelous things. But she don't get that from me. She gets that from her mother. I'm, I'm not that brave. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling back the clock, could you tell me what it was, uh, what was it like in the household when Jessica and your other kids were young? And, and could you remind me how many kids you have? Uh, do you have three kids altogether? Yeah, I have an older son who's a priest. He started to be a priest, and then he, he dropped the Pope and picked up a wife. And he's a youth director at the Risen Christ Church in Denver, Colorado now. Wonderful. And then my youngest my youngest child, my youngest daughter, is in soul career. Like I said a while ago, her husband's a major in the Army over there. Yeah. And so Jessica's in the middle? Jessica's in the middle, correct. Were you in Arizona when you were raising the kids, or, or where was it that— uh... Yes, sir. My wife was pregnant with Jessica on the way out here from Mississippi. I used to teach Indians— Choctaws in Mississippi. And when I transferred from the BIA to the Department of the Army, I came to Fort Huachuca as post music director. But my wife, when I moved to Mound in January, we came out and lived here in Arizona. And she was, Jessica was born the 2nd of February. 
after they came out in January. So it was, my wife was pregnant with Jessica when we moved to Arizona. And was your wife staying at home with the kids or was she working outside of the house? My wife was a nurse. The earlier years, she had her sister come over from the Philippines and help take care of the kids while she continued her nursing. She worked in several hospitals, yeah. So Jessica's born, she's got no arms, she's got her disabilities. How were you first approaching that as a father? Uh, There's no problem. I have never, I'm a Christian, I wouldn't tell you a story, I hope, but I have never lost a teardrop over Jessica since she was born. The day she was born, my wife had a C-section, all my kids a C-section, and when she was born, I was in the delivery room holding my wife's hand. My wife was a traumatic shock for my wife because we didn't know she was going to be born without arms when she was born. And so when the doctor said that she was, he showed her the baby and that it was without arms, it just really tore my wife up. But I was reaching to grab the baby, Jessica, and I was holding her hand so hard that the doctor had to just divert and send the baby to the white room to wipe her up. I didn't get to hold the baby once he came out, but I was taking care of the baby, Jessica, for the first week there in the cry room, you know, where you rock the babies and all that. Yeah. But my wife kind of went in. She went inside, you know, of uh, she didn't want to talk to nobody for a couple of days. She just really tore her up. But as time moved along, we carried the Shrine Hospital in in, uh, L.A. two or three times a year, had post stitches made for them. It's just been a wonderful experience. It really has. There hasn't been anything de- negative about it. Not like I said, I have, I have never even looked at Jessica as being handicapped at all. I've always pushed her in everything I could. I pushed her into flying, and she did the most of it herself. Though now she even learned to rock climb in Utah here about a year ago. She was up there in Salt Lake City somewhere, and she did some rock climbing. They had to hook about ten cables to her. <laughs> <laughs> But she's done it all. She surfs, skis, flies airplanes. She uh, tap dances for 12 or 13 years. You just can't name anything she can't do. I'll just tell you that. You said that you pushed her, which I think is fantastic. Could you give an example when she was young of maybe the, the type of thing where you may have pushed her to, to challenge herself? Well, we had to keep from challenger. When she was at school, she would want to get up on the high slide. And so she'd be sitting there, and she'd see the other kids get up on the slide. Her teachers went crazy trying to keep her off that slide, you know. So we didn't have to push her. She, the one thing that was kind of stalled her for about five seconds, I guess, she'd been taking tap dancing for about a year or so, and so it was time for the concert. Well, her teacher said, well, Jessica, y'all get, because there had been uniforms made and all that. She was getting ready to perform at night. And she said, told the teacher that she wanted to be on the back row. She didn't want to be in front. So the teacher told her, he said, Jessica, there's no back row. Everybody's in the front row. So she finally went out there on the stage. But as soon as she, the first uh, performance, the, the first act that she was in, the audience was clapping so loud. She just couldn't wait to get back on the stage. That's just the way it was. It was phenomenal, phenomenal, yeah. But she really didn't want to go out there on that stage and be in the front row. <laughs> she she was very sensitive about not having arms, you know. And it seems like you and your wife made a decision early on to introduce Jessica into public school 
Was that a, a difficult decision? How how did you arrive to the conclusion to go ahead and, and integrate her into the public school at an early age? That was about the only school they had in Sierra Vista where we were living. And what would happen, my wife would carry Jessica down to her new teacher every year the day before school started. And she would show her where she's going to have this special desk and that uh, the show around the room introduce her, kind of get her, you know, to have her formulated to this classroom, whatever you say it, get her used to uh, what's happening in the room. Then the next day, all the kids would come with her to school. But it was, uh, you know, it was pretty, for Jessica, it probably was more emotional than it was for us. But my wife was very sensitive about that because she defended, you know, always defended Jessica in every respect. She didn't want her to get upset or be a shunned or anything you know they made service elementary dr bill made some special desks for her had them made and so each classroom had a special desk that was designed for jessica's needs so she could put her feet up on the desk and study you know and so school was not that really bad except for her not being able to participate in certain things i guess I wasn't at the schoolroom, but I'm sure there were many times when she couldn't do everything that every kid did. And But she played soccer later on, everything. You know, she just came along with no problems. You know, for us, it wasn't a problem, but she, she was so aggressive, though. And when she was born, I meant to tell you a while ago when I was telling you, when she first came out, first day or two of her life, her eyes were just like eager. Her eyes would go back and forth, back and forth. She was just ready to attack the world, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not being facetious. I'm telling you the truth. I can believe it. I mean, look at what she's done, right? <laughs> from that day on, though, you know, from her birth, she was always eager to take on any challenge. And she got the in the high school, the last year, her senior year in high school, she got the Candy Apple Award. And that is presented of all the schools in Tucson, about 10 or 15 high schools. They uh, give out one award to the most outstanding student. Grades, everything, involvement, everything that you possibly associated with a supreme student. Well, Jessica got it her senior year. And they presented the mayor and all that was down at the big Coliseum in Tucson. She received the Candy Apple Award. That was from her earlier years, you know, when she finished high school. But ever since ever since then, though, she has maxed out in everything. She's performed in Carnegie Hall. She's been in the White House with President Obama. She knows Harrison Ford, John Travolta, all those at the film festivals. She was a keynote speaker at Oshkosh, Wisconsin for three years in a row. Huh. Pilots from all over the world watched her, you know, talk. She spoke to all them, you know. Mm. But she just done it all. I don't know how to express it, but but she did it all. Jessica just had it in her to do all these things. And even today, she'll tr- any challenge that comes before, she'll master it if it's at all possible. You know. She did mention uh, during some of her younger years that she experienced some bullying in school. You know, I think all kids do, and and when you're different, you can be a target for that even more so than the average kid. Was that something that uh, you found that you coached her through at points in time? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one kid once I know came up to her. He had his arms in his shirt, and he said, look, Jessica, I have no arms. <laughs> you know, I'm saying yeah. all kind of little things like that happened throughout her earlier education. But somehow 
she just managed to handle it, you know. And of course, we had a Filipino American community. My wife was Filipino, and we had a birthday party just about every week at the McDonald's or somewhere. All the club members and their kids. So she had a real strong social environment when she was young. So mm-hmm. and none of those people, they were all very in love with Jessica, you know. They filmed her and all that, you know, with their hand cameras and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. she she had a strong support from that type of group, plus her church and everywhere else. So really, she didn't have as bad a time as you might think she would have. She really didn't. That's interesting, though. That seems like it's you bring up something that could be really helpful for parents that have kids that are different or maybe targets of, of bullying for whatever reason is that if they are involved with groups and communities outside of that school environment, they do have all of this positive reinforcement and love that they're receiving and their sense of self-worth isn't entirely dependent on what their classmates think of them at school. It's uh, it's only one part of it. And it sounds like you did a really good job or your, your, your family of of ensuring that she had different communities that she was involved in outside of school. That's correct. Uh-huh. She mentioned that she has uh, fond memories of lap time conversations with you when she was younger and that you were a fantastic listener and occasionally you'd guide her to think through different challenges and problems. Was that something that you, you were purposeful about carving out time to spend with Jessica in that manner? Not necessarily. I had two other kids. I tried to be fair to all three of them. I've always made this statement. I don't know whether it's totally true or not. I know it's not completely true, but I tried to treat all my kids at the same attention level. And to try to, I didn't differentiate it all. I, I didn't make her a special case at all. I didn't give her any slack. She did something wrong, I might say something. She didn't get any sympathy from me, is right. I think that's probably reason she's so tough nowadays, so no. Did you have a, a certain things that you would do with your wife in terms of uh, how you coordinated the parenting responsibilities or conferring together? Well, my wife's sister had came here from the from Manila to spend time. Her family was very concerned about Jessica being born without arms. So her one of her older sisters came here to live with us and she for several years. And she did. She helped out a lot with taking care of Jessica. And so my wife had no real major problems, you know, with uh, the babysitting part of Jessica, because when she'd go to work, her sister would take over, and it would, and, she, my, and Jessica loved her sister like she did her mother. So I'm just saying, my wife and I together, we didn't do a lot of consulting among ourselves. I was a post-music director at Fort Huachuca, and I had night hours and different times that I would work there. The thing is, we talked about different concerns about Jessica over the years. It sounds like you're Jessica's biggest cheerleader. And I would have to imagine if you were like that when she was growing up, that it must have instilled strong sense of self-confidence and self-assuredness. Have you always been like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. But she gets on to me because I'm always bragging about her. You know, I'm showing... She has all these cards she made up for her flying and all that. I give people cards and I say, boy, you know what she's done. And I'm not doing it to be boastful. I'm just doing it to let people know who she is. Yeah. Because I know that there's probably very few girls that have done as much as she has. And I'm not saying that we're being too proud about it. We just, God has blessed her so well, I'm saying. Yeah, that she's just a tremendous person, and every, you know, the people like King of Egypt, the Prince of Saudi Arabia, the 
the President of the United States, uh, everybody who knows her, I'm saying, has the same feeling for her. I mean, they, they know, they have read her accomplishments, and uh, it's just no one, there will never be another Jessica Cox on this earth, I don't think. In fact, it's a possibility, because uh, she eats dinner now with Gabby Gifford and Mark, you know, the astronaut. Sure. Yeah, Mark just made senator. They go out to eat at an African restaurant once in a while here in town. Oh, wow. Huh. And, they're, and they're good friends, you know. And uh, I know Mark a little bit, but I just, I just met him once or twice at one of her filmings. But Jessica and her husband, they're personal friends with Mark and Gabby Gifford, you know. I'm just saying she has had the opportunity with all what she has done to meet a lot of quality people and be in a lot of quality places. And she's accomplished more than, than most people in their lifetimes, right? Yeah, more than I would have ever accomplished. I just don't have that kind of determination. <laughs> and there's her stick with itness too is is really really remarkable. Mm-hmm. I've got just a few closing questions for you. If you do, you have a, just a few more minutes. Yeah. Wonderful. What are three words that you think your kids or your wife might use to describe your parenting style? Well, you know, naturally, we show love for our kids. Mm. We show total interest in our kids and protection for the kids and all that. And we care of the church, make sure they stay in church. And God, God has just blessed my kids tremendously, all three of them. So Jessica is just, just one of those exceptional persons that comes along every so often, you know. Yeah. My wife was so religious and devout and, and uh, dedicated to the family. You know, Filipinos are that way anyway. She's from Philippines. Philippines. Mm-hmm. They're all family-oriented, you know, the, the Filipinos are. They love their family more than they do anything else. And that's the way she was with my kids, you know. Yeah. She might not love me that much, <laughs> but she loves the kids. I say that, yeah. That's great. And she made sure they got to be at any event that came along. She never shunned Jessica from attending any event or um, activity that came along that Jessica could participate in. And that's one reason that Jessica has mastered all these different avenues, you see, because of her mother. And that. Now, I would support her, but I wasn't the one who initiated all the... I did initiate her flying because she was speaking for the old Rotary Club here in Tucson, and uh, after the, she, her speech, this gentleman, Rob, came down. He, he was a man in charge of right flight in Tucson. That's where they train young kids to fly. He comes up and says, uh, Jessica, would you, would you want to learn to fly? And she didn't say nothing. I said, she sure would. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you would have done differently as a father, looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight? You know, I don't, I don't know that I've ever asked, no one ever asked me that before. I honestly don't know anything major that I would have done differently. Because we, the main thing with kids, you know, is give them a loving home, get, make sure they go to school, make sure they go to church. And God tells the rest of it usually. We're a very spiritual family, and we don't have to worry about anything in that respect. Even Jessica with no arms, she blessed my family, and she just made our family of what it is, you know, by being like she was. And her determinations and her concerns and her challenges that she met, you know. Yep. And it just really molded our family around her 
successes, you know, and things. But it all, you know, being spiritual like our family is, we believe that God's handling all that. So we don't, we never have worried about it. You know, they really hadn't had any worries over Jessica at all, you know. That's great. But my, my wife was very hypersensitive, though, when she was young because she was a nurse and she didn't like anybody to hurt Jessica's feelings, you know, at all. That's where it was. Natural. That's just natural, though, you know. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I saw last question I had was is there any advice that you'd give to fathers, either fathers in general or fathers who have a child with a disability? Well, I'll say it like this. When when Jessica was born, I was looking through the picture window in the you know, the the cry room where they put all the babies, you know. And I was looking at Jessica and all of a sudden someone came up beside me. I was either a man or a woman. I honestly have forgotten who it was. And they said to me, well, which child is yours? And I pointed to Jessica, and she said, oh, she said, God only gives handicapped kids to parents who can take care of them, who loves them, and who he respects. And that made me feel real good, you know, at that time. She was just a couple of days old, you know. And so this person said, must have been a very spiritual person, she said, God only allows parents that he knows will take care of the children allowed them to have a handicapped child and so that made me you know that made me feel good like uh i didn't think much of it at that moment i don't think but later on i got thinking about that and i said i guess that's right because we have been going to church all these years devoutly you know our family and even my son was becoming a, a priest you know mm. but i'm saying that had a lot to do with her strength all these years is being active in the church and uh, depending on god's grace to support us and i guess i'm talking too much about religion to you but i just have to say that that one reason that we made it so well and so easily through her upbringing was that we never had to worry a lot. You know, we let God do the worrying, yeah. you know. No, I'm glad you're talking about it. It was an important part of uh, of who you are as a person and an important part of your, your family and how you raised your kids. Bill, is there is there anything that uh, that we didn't cover that, that you'd like to add? Jessica, I'll make this, I will make this statement. It might sound pretty foolish in a way, but I thought several times, I think if someone came along and said, we're going to give Jessica arms, I got thinking, oh, she don't need arms. I'm thinking, I don't even think I would accept them. And I think Jessica's made that statement before, too, that after going accomplishing the things that she has without arms, I don't think she would even want a pair of arms to be rebuilt with a person like an arm. She just uh, has, has had so many rewards from not having arms and accomplishments. I think she would say, no, I, I don't believe, I believe I'll, pass on that you know <laughs> yeah. and, and i mean that sounds stupid in a way but at the same time she has not been a negative factor in our lives i'll say that she's been a aspiration for our lives my wife and me and uh, and uh, i hope my two kids think the same way you know countless other people feel that same way she's been a an inspiration to certainly to me and and all of the other people that you mentioned and i'm sure beyond the tens of thousands of people that she's taught to there's millions of others who have seen her videos and heard her story who are inspired and have uh, removed the word can't from their vocabulary. Bill, thank you so much for your time. I have really enjoyed talking with you. Okay. All right. And, and uh, enjoy the interview. You seem like a very nice person. 
Well, thanks. And, and likewise, it's, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I really appreciate your time, Bill. All right. And have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you for listening. And many thanks to both Jessica and her father, Bill Cox. As mentioned in the introduction, we would greatly appreciate it if you could help sustain the podcast by leaving a rating and even a brief review. It's particularly helpful if you can do this on the Apple Podcast app. You can also help sustain the podcast by telling a friend about it, subscribing, and following us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And feel free to reach out to us directly at info, I-N-F-O, at fatheringexcellence.com, or use the contact form on our website. Most importantly, remember to spend some time today with your child. It goes by in the blink of an eye. Thank you.